This is the Mutual Broadcasting System, the leader in network radio. The following program is filled with life-sustaining information for being a good human being. It's also full of shaming for bad humans. Sprinkle in an abundance of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and the rest of the Lucky Charms alphabet, and you have the Gay BC Happy Hour, hosted by a couple of fabulous unicorns who just can't help themselves from farting glitter wherever they go. Ladies and gentlemen, and those with pronouns I'm still learning about, here are your bi, coastal friends, Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Hello, hello, hello. and welcome to the happy hour. <laughs> Good to be back. Good to be back in the studio live and able to talk with our friends across the country and around the world in real time on a Thursday night. Exactly. No, it is it is nice to be back. Um, you know, we had a, a pre-taped episode last week that I think was pretty fun, but, um, you know, it doesn't, nothing beats the... Uh, the real-time kind of aspect of the show. So glad to be back doing this live and in person, and um, especially now that uh, we are officially in fall. It feels very, very autumnal here today. I got a email this past week that suggested that we rename the show from GBC Happy Hour if we were to bring Tom Riley back, who was our guest last week, uh, that we rename the show as Two and a Half Gingers. (laughs) <laughs> because there's you two yeah. and then there's my facial hair which used exactly. to be ginger <laughs> although the stuff up on the top of my head is kind of brownish blonde so but yeah you know it's it's worth uh, a very red beard and mustache yeah in the day yeah um, I like that idea. That's you know we'll, we'll do some uh, some market research on that but um, since I last caught up with you I had the opportunity to visit in person with a bunch of our friends while I was in the greater Phoenix area on my way home from Tucson last weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was really uh, super sweet. I had a chance, this is not the first time, but to meet our friend Peyton and Mm -hmm. also our friend Pup Axel. And uh, he and the two of them uh, got together with my partner and I uh, once previously last uh, Uh, I think it was last April when I was going through there. But uh, this time added on our uh, friend Studweiser and another uh, uh, friend who we just met who is uh, the significant plaything of uh, Peyton. And then also (laughs) uh, for the first time got to meet another person we've been talking with for a long time in uh, in X spaces, it's still weird for me to say that, not Twitter spaces, uh, but that was Sir Michael. And so we all had a really, really good time, and uh, it was nice to see them and hope that they have an opportunity to listen along with us uh, uh, this evening or uh, at least throughout the next week. And uh, just wanted them to know that I really, truly enjoyed getting the opportunity to hang out with them for lunch last Sunday. Oh, that's so fun! Yeah, it's yeah. always great to meet meet friends, uh, you know, in person. So, uh, you know, and and for those of you uh, listening to the show, consider this sort of a in person light because we are coming to you in your headphones and on your speakers. So, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And, you know, to that end, uh, this is a show that has a call-in capacity. So if you are listening live, we've got a phone number. It's 760-677-0111. If anything strikes your fancy, give us a call and we can chat. Yeah. And if you happen to live somewhere where they charge you to make a long-distance call, which I don't think really exists anymore, uh, except maybe internationally, um, just call us Collect. We'll take the call. <laughs> just remember Is that when, when you dial in, you have to then have the operator dial the five for you when you get to the recording so you can come to the studio and I can say, yes, we'll accept the charges. <laughs> you know that reminds me of i remember back in the day oh, that is unless you're unless you're calling from a jail cell yes yeah but that reminds me of back in the day in high school um my school was was actually far enough away from my house that um it was a long distance call and so there was a payphone in the hallway and in order to call home you know to arrange pickups and stuff i had a calling card i don't know if you remember these i do and so you'd have to dial a number dial a, a really long pin number, then the number you wanted to call. Um, and it was quite an ordeal. I, it's, it feels like ancient history at this point. You know what I'd have done? I would have just called home collect and then told them, don't accept the call. Just know that I'm calling you because I'm ready to be picked up. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. That would have been a good, a good scheme. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, we've got a bunch of interesting stories lined up this week, um, and uh, you know, I think I think uh, it should be should be a good episode. So I guess we could just jump right in. Sure, um, absolutely. So the first story we have is one that comes from the Washington Post, and it is a story about a trans woman who joined a sorority at University of Wyoming, and um, a bunch of sort of bad stuff ensued. So I think um, yeah, I the, think we should just get the, into that the one. The first so, thing I want to ask you about this, uh, mm -hmm. Richie, is what person who is trans to begin with chooses to live in Wyoming? Secondly, if you're in Wyoming or anywhere else and you're trans and you're going to school, why on earth would you think about getting into the Greek system? I can't think of a more horrible place to immerse yourself if you wanted to feel safe while going to school. So this is, you know, and this is the thing that I think uh, is the interesting part of this is there's, there's kind of the world that we want to exist and the world that does exist. And I think that the problem is, um, and to be clear, a lot of the people who are in the sorority were totally, uh, supportive and and really happy to have Artemis Langford in the sorority, but there was a a, a cadre of folks that weren't, and they're suing. They they are suing uh, the the for the sorority itself um, to try to get Artemis kicked out. But I see your point because um, you know when you think about Greek life is is extremely hyper gendered. I mean. It's it's this this sort of throwback situation where you have, you know, male fraternities and they're kind of doing man stuff, and you have, you know, women sororities that are supposed to act, you know, according to these really like really staid kind of ideas of what gender is and in gender and sex in sort of sexual activity is. It does feel really retrograde. I understand. I, I don't really get Greek life. I I wasn't in anything like that. 
Um, and I don't fully get it. And especially, um, you know, as a, as a queer person at the time that definitely seemed like a no go. Um, you know, and so it's a good question. And I would love if we have anyone listening who it was, or is a member of Greek, Greek life at any point, I would like to know what's the appeal. I don't get it. I really just don't, I don't get it at all. Yeah. When I was going to go to college and then backed out because I had a great career opportunity right out of high school, and uh, my intention had always been to attend Washington State University, uh, you know, through junior and senior high school, and this career opportunity right out of school, um, I I think I made a mistake in not going to college uh, or to university, but at the same time, you know, there's something to be said for practical experience. And I would go visit a number of my high school friends who were going to school at Washington State over over the next couple of years. And some of them were in the Greek system. And the members of the house that two of my friends went into uh, really kind of took me on as a little brother anyway whenever I was there. And so I had a really pleasant time, but I I did get a chance to see an environment that I thought, wow, if I had come to school here and I were immersed in this, one, I think my education would be threatened because of the expectations that you have within one of those uh, fraternities. And also uh, because they had a tendency to get into a lot of trouble. And, mm-hmm. and, and they also seemed really exclusive. And knowing at that time that I was gay, but I was not out to my friends, I just saw that as being a hodgepodge of trouble waiting for me. And I think that the same, somebody would think about, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that we were at the 25th anniversary of the, the death of Matthew Shepard in the state of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, I mean, I know some stuff has, but I don't think that much has changed in a quarter of a century in Laramie, Wyoming, let alone right. throughout the other regions of that state. And so when I read this story originally about this 21-year-old Artemis Langford uh, joining Kappa Kappa Gamma at the U of Wyoming, I thought, what the hell was she thinking? Or was she thinking? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because I I think for some people being close because I I believe if I read the story correctly that Artemis is from Wyoming, and I think some people like to be close to home. That was not my personal experience. I I went to school sort of on the other side of this of the country, and that was sort of by choice. Um, you know, one of the one of the reasons being, um that I felt that as a gay person, I, I kind of wanted to make my, my own way and kind of, you know, sort of be, be a new person in a new place and kind of experience things, uh, on my own turf. Um, but I know some people do, they kind of like the comfort of knowing that parents are a, a car drive away. Um, and so, and, you know, this goes back to kind of what, what we want the world to be versus what the world is because in a perfect world we would 
anyone should be able to go to any school in any state and feel safe and be able to get a good education and not have things like their sexuality be a hindrance to to even you know feeling safe and supported in a school environment yeah um unfortunately that isn't the reality um you know and it seems like there was a that the Artemis had a social circle of LGBTQ folks at UW, but um, kind of was looking for more. Was you know, and I think that's where she turned to the sorority system. Yeah, can I but, read just a little section from the Washington Post reporting on this? Uh, sure, I'd like to share this with the audience. Um, the Washington Post reports right wing pundits portrayed her on a national or on national television as a predator as a perverted man who faked his way into a sorority to leer at women. Death threats followed. Strangers began stalking her. Police assigned extra patrols to the sorority house. But the most hurtful accusations came this past spring. That's when Artemis discovered members of her sorority, seven sisters out of the 40-some members, were working with lawyers to oust her. On March 27th, they filed the lawsuit, as Richie just talked about, in federal court against Artemis and Kappa Kappa Gamma. Artemis said, hate from strangers is one thing. It was a gut punch after working so hard to get in to realize that there were people who never wanted me there in the first place. It's sad. Yeah, and I feel like, but the, it's, I feel it's like it kind of brings up, it brings up to me the term um, that, you know, that is bandied around turf. I don't know if you've heard that one before. It's uh, trans uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists. And um, I don't know exactly if this is what's happening here, but it is sort of the same sentiment. I feel like there is a there is a certain kind of group of people who don't accept trans women as women and don't think that they should be in women's spaces. And the, I'm not surprised that in the sorority world that you might encounter some of that, some of that, because it's again, it's a sort of retrograde gender experience to be having in the first place. Um, you know, I'm and, and I kind of go back and forth because I, I certainly don't want to victim shame and be like, oh, well, you had it coming for you by even going into a sorority. I don't think that's that's not it at all. But at the same time, it's just. I am also sadly not shocked and surprised that there would be members of the of a sorority that would harbor those kind of retrograde thoughts and, you know, and take legal action. I mean, that's pretty wild, but you know, uh it's it's really just a sad story because, you know, this is uh this is a woman who was looking for community, who thought that she had found it thought she had found, you know, a, a, you know, a home and a place that was, you know, going to be supportive and then was turned upon and became, you know, a figure of of ridicule nationally, you know, in in right-wing media and even amongst, you know, her own, you know, purported sisters. Um it's really tragic. It's a really sad tale and it's really um you know, I think that Artemis is very brave for kind of sticking with being in this sorority at this point, you know, um, because, and I think that, you know, she's, she's making the point that it would actually send a really, really bad message to other trans women 
if at this point she were to just, you know, pack up and and head out because she's in the fight now. I definitely give her kudos for having the strength to continue to fight through this and the determination to not just give in to other people's transphobia. But I am concerned for her overall welfare. Again, she should be too, being that she is that she is from Laramie of all cities. And she grew up in a devoutly Mormon family, according to the reporting in the Post. Uh, she even watched Bill O'Reilly and Fox News on her grandfather's lap. Uh, she was taught as a child, they say, how to shoot a gun and that there's no place in heaven for gay people. But even as a small child, the Washington Post reported, Artemis felt something wrong inside. And, yeah. you know, it's like, come on, people. It's it's 2023. Get with the times. Let's not take a big step back into 1950. Yeah, and, and it's like, I, I, do, I do applaud Artemis for, you know, I think dra- dragging uh, a, a particularly, you know, Neanderthal kind of, you know, world, kicking and screaming into the twenty, you know, the the current, you know, year by just being like, I'm here and I'm staying. Yep. Well, when we continue with tonight's happy hour, we're going to talk about a total nut job mayoral candidate in Franklin, Tennessee, and what his most egregious uh, recent behavior has been. So stay with us as we continue with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. Thanks for being with us on the GBC Happy Hour here from the GBC Radio Network. From GayBC.com, this is the Happy Hour with your hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. Howdy, partners, and welcome back to the Happy Hour. Howdy. We'll sidle on up to the bar, and we'll keep this uh, keep this show a rolling along. And don't forget to be with us towards the end of the program tonight. The end of next hour, we will get into doing our regular routine uh, with Richie behind the bar, and uh, I'm sure he'll have something a little more exciting than sarsaparilla for you tonight. I I, I do actually. Okay. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, this story uh, is, you know, it's just kind of, uh, again, kind of a peek into the craziness that is local politics and especially kind of in the MAGA era. So we've got this uh, Gabrielle Hansen, and uh, she is this far-right Republican mayoral candidate in Franklin, Tennessee. And she invited neo-Nazis to a candidate forum last week. Uh, despite passionate rebukes from her fellow city council members. Uh, she, I think, had them in as protection, I believe, was her sort of, you know, what she was saying. But the the people who that, that she had in 
uh, I read a quote from one of them that said, I'm not a conservative. I'm an actual neo-Nazi. Like there's no, there's, this isn't just name calling. These are actual Wait, avowed neo-Nazis. A, a what? Did she, did you say conservative or something else? Cuckservative. Cuckservative. Okay. Huh? Have you heard that before? I've not, but I like it. <laughs> So that so conservative is is a term on the right. It it basically is sort of like a a kind of nasty way of saying rhino. You know, a conservative is someone who is not conservative enough. Who's actually you know a a cuck. You know, an i.e. a cuckold to the left. Um, and so it's kind of a term of term of art uh, used on the right against people who are not far right enough. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so she invited neo-Nazis to the candidate forum, and she's been kind of embroiled in controversy the entire time of her campaign. She, early last month, um, one of her campaign aides went on a tear-filled tirade at a council meeting saying that uh, gay people were giving children butt plugs in her hometown and was training them on how they were being used. Really? Yes. What do you think? Um, so what do you say we move there and go to at least one Tupperware party? <laughs> but yeah, so so you know one of the you know that that kind of unsubstantiated ridiculous story coming out of her campaign, and then she uh, she also uh, in her official capacity urged Nashville International Airport to withdraw its donation to a Juneteenth celebration, um, and <laughs> the city's ethics commission recommended uh, that she be censured. Uh, and it turned out that in, in, in sort of one of these wonderful twists of fate, uh, it turned out that it was revealed in September that Hansen had pleaded no contest to promoting prostitution when she was a college student in Dallas. Of course she did. Yeah. So, you know, she just she kind of is is she checks every box for kind of politics in 2023 on the right, you know, just wild, just sort of, you know, kind of inciting violence, courting, you know, neo-Nazis, um, surrounding herself with, with wild-eyed conspiracy theorists, um, and turns out, you know, has a checkered past herself. I so, think that the people in her community, that they should collectively go to the courthouse and have her first name changed to Karen. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, she's she is really kind of like this this kind of uber Karen, for sure. Um, another fun thing is it turned out that she had, uh, pulled random pictures of strangers from social media and put them on her website as members of her quote, executive committee in support of her candidacy, <laughs> <laughs> which is a pretty, so there's also kind of a little bit of a George Santos vibe too there, you know, just yeah, kind of, of like making stuff up. Oh, um, I can't wait till she makes, makes it all the way to our federal legislature. Right. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure she she is uh, she's already measuring the drapes in a house office somewhere. Yeah. How, how much time did she spend on a local school board? Because she's just the type of person who does that, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm an actual um, literal Nazi. I can't yeah. imagine that coming off the lips of anybody who wants to be elected in this country for real. But OK. Well, that was that wasn't that wasn't her. That was one of the the Nazis that she invited. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, no, she she didn't say that. It was it was um. Oh, it was you know, one of these. I, I I I see that now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, it's it's a you know it's wild and it's just it kind of goes again to one of the things that we always talk about here, which is local matters. Um, you know, 
pay attention to what what kind of local races are happening where you're at and get involved um you know whether it's in your local um you know your local party uh organization running yourself for school board supporting people who you agree with um and who and i know know, it sounds dumb but be concerned about the people who are even getting into offices like the water district and the you know those kinds of commissions and the people that your local city councils put uh, place on uh, as citizen commissioners because they use that to help propel future campaigns to higher offices that they aspire to which could be the school board you know or the county council or you know it it goes up from there yeah and you know another thing and this is at the topic you know i think that we could spend a whole other segment on it but um is uh freedom of information law requests Mm -hmm. don't 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 shy away from those are actually very powerful and most states have a freedom of information law there's a federal foia which is the federal uh the freedom of information act but you can get a lot of you know useful states information. and counties and cities all have to abide by those same things too. Not the Correct. federal law, but each state's law in terms of how those work. And um, I would love to share with you on a future edition uh, some of the adventures I've had doing just that. In fact, cost a, a entire city council in the richest per capita city in the state of California all their jobs at one point nice. in time about 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so let's get into that one of these days. I'd I'd love to talk that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Okay, stay with us. We're going to update our live listeners on a little news at the bottom of the hour, and then we're going to continue with more of the happy hour. And when we do, uh, we will be talking about some bands here in the Golden State uh, for your health. So stay with us. That's all coming up with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack, and we appreciate you being along. 760-677-0111 if you want to jump into the conversation on any of our topics tonight. From GayBC.com, this is the Happy Hour with your hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, yes. So kind of a little bit of a shift in gears to um, the Golden State and a probably much overdue ban on some chemicals. Um, so recently, California banned red dye number three. Not brominated- number three. I know number three. Unbelievable. What are lesbians going to use to color their hair anymore? Well, it is for foods. Okay. <laughs> uh, red dye number three, brominated vegetable oil and potassium bromate, um, among some other things. And um, it's... No, I'm serious. I think I knew a lesbian once in San Francisco who used uh, uh, red dye number three in her hair. Really? Yeah. I mean, it I know is, they use I mean, that... lipstick, but... Well, this is the thing. So, um, so... The 33 years ago, the FDA banned the use of red dye number three in lipstick and other cosmetics linking it to cancer, but never, never banned it in food. It's still in, 
things like Nestle strawberry milk mix, um, you know, certain candies, certain cereals and things like that. And, um, and you know, the, some of the other brominated vegetable oil is used in some store, uh, store brand, like Mountain Dew type drinks to keep citrus from separating out. And potassium bromate, I think, is used in tortillas, something like that. But um, I got to tell you, the, the photograph that the New York Times used with this story uh, as an example of one food item that has used it, uh, although they intend to phase it out next year, is something that needs to leave the store shelves anyway because they just gross me out. But that's is that Peeps? Peeps. <laughs> Peeps, yeah. Um, you know, peeps are polarizing. I, you know, I I must admit, I'm not a marshmallow was, fan. See, I kind of love marshmallows. There was a time in my life where I was extremely into peeps. Actually, like I was a peep like acolyte, a peepaholic, a peepaholic. Yeah, I was a peeping tom. But um, the thing is, uh, now when I I tried one a couple years ago and the chemical flavor of the colorants is so acrid that I couldn't choke down more than one bite of them. I don't know how I ever liked them, but, um, but yeah, the, the lurid pink, um, peeps, I think that comes from uh, red dye number three and they are trying to phase it out. But the, the what it kind of, it, it, what it highlights is there are a lot of ways in which the FDA seems to kind of have been asleep at the wheel in a lot of respects recently. Um, and, you know, one of them is, you know, these chemicals, there's a term called generally recognized as safe or grass, G-R-A-S. And originally it was, it was used to, for things like salt or vinegar or kind of basic kind of building blocks of foods. Right. And See, I always thought it was about cannabis. Grass. <laughs> But um, it was it was originally, you know, for these building blocks of food that were just so elemental that they didn't need to go through a regulatory process. But over the years, they've just they've allowed a lot of these pretty, you know, sort of intense chemical products to just find their way onto the generally recognized as safe list, which kind of takes them out of the regulatory process. How much and of that do you think is is controlled by financial interests of people who just want to make things to make money and they don't care about people's safety and they fund people who do things or have power over groups like the FDA and so things just don't happen that should. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think part of it is I think there's a lot of things to point to. One is um the FDA seems to, you know, it has a long history of allowing the the people who are are petitioning for something to be um to be you know approved to do their own studies you know it's not independent studies necessarily and so you have these situations where for instance with drugs the drug maker who is seeking to get approval is doing the actual studies to get the approval yeah. and you know if you can talk about a vested interest there i mean that that kind of is a perfect storm for for bad science well let me give you an example too i have a or had a very good friend he passed away a few years back uh and some people may have heard of him uh dr arnie klein he was kind of considered dr botox around the world he set the standard for injectables among uh 
uh, people in, you know, in the dermatology field. And he was sought out by then United States Senator Ted Kennedy uh, to look into a situation with the FDA because of how they approved a product called Artifil. And Artifil was this injectable that um, was put in people's lips to give them this, you know, these big, smooth lips. Mm-hmm. And and it actually was a substance that very much was like plexiglass and it would break apart and turn to like crystals and it was very painful and very disfiguring wow. for people who used it. One of the people who did that was uh, somebody who at one time had been one of Arnie's patients and that was Linda Evans, the woman who you know starred among other, other things in Dynasty. Uh, and... Uh, so he got involved in this and this couple that live that are in that are in that field um, you know in dermatology who lived in Canada is who the manufacturer went to to have them do this study and Arnie and uh, and Senator Kennedy were arguing with the FDA that how on earth did they ever allow somebody who was tied to the manufacturer and not even in the United States allow them to do the studies that managed to get this crap through that ended up injuring Mm -hmm. all these people and doing all this disfiguration. And I I remember it uh, very clearly because I know how upset Arnie was. He had tried and had limited success in being able to help patients who came to him to repair the damage that had been had been done in the use of that. And that was all because of that kind of stuff, because the people who manufacture it are trying to steer the, the research being done for the purposes of safety. And all they care about is the bottom line for themselves. Yeah. And, and it kind of ties in, there's, there's a, a term called regulatory capture, which is basically when you have a tight in a sort of a regular in you know, a regulation on an industry and you have a sort of small group of people who are the knowledgeable people that cycle in and out between the actual regulator and the industry itself and where you end up with a regulatory regime that is stacked with people who have you know if not direct you know interests are are at least are are um, susceptible to thinking, you know, with thinking in line with the people who are, you know, who are being regulated. And so I wonder if something like, you know, with the food, especially the food industry, which is such a huge industry and packaged and manufactured food is huge. Um, if there isn't some level of regulatory capture in the FDA on the food side of things, you know, setting aside the drug part, which has its own issues, because, yeah. you know, recently there was a story that um, is very near and dear to my heart because I've known this for years, which is um, pseudoephedrine, which is Sudafed, the original Sudafed, was a fantastic decongestant. As some, And as someone who often has allergies and is susceptible to colds and things, um, I'm well acquainted with the benefits of Sudafed. But because of meth production, um, there, you know, they pass laws and Sudafed, the actual pseudoephedrine now is, is something that's behind the pharmacy counter. You have to sign a register to actually buy it, and it's quite highly regulated. In order to have an, a, an, easily, uh, an easy over-the-counter option, 
the drug manufacturers rolled out something called phenylephrine. So Sudafed PE, which is now the thing that you can buy just on the shelf. And phenylephrine was deemed by the FDA to be an, an acceptable, appropriate drug for decongestants. It turns out, though, in, recently they, they admitted this and they're working to kind of get it off the shelves. It turns out it is completely useless. It's not harmful, but it is it is like less useful than a sugar pill for decongestants. <laughs> and so what we've had is we've had a number of years where people have been buying essentially useless medicine at, you know, great expense. Um, and the FDA had no, you know, basically was, was alerted numerous times by various doctors, uh, you know, who did studies and they were like, look, guys, this stuff does not work at all. And they just kind of waved their hand at it. And it finally, it took sort of a concerted effort by a bunch of doctors and sort of concerned parties to finally get through to the FDA. And just recently, they they admitted, you know, and, and they're, they're sort of taking steps to make it so that that product is not on the shelves for that purpose. How many billions of bottles of that crap do you think got sold just oh, solely yeah. for the bottom line of of the various manufacturers of right of those pharmaceuticals yeah i mean if you think you know it's in all those it's in you know it's in dayquil it's in sudafed it's in you know uh, all the different brands all the store brands you know um you know in Don't you various think that there's some level of culpability i mean i'm asking the lawyer now don't you think that there is some sort of culpability on the part of of the scientists and the executives with those companies that knew that that stuff was nothing more than than a pseudo drug. Well, they have the fig leaf. I mean, yeah, there should be, but they have the fig leaf of the FDA's imprimatur on it. The FDA said this is a drug that is safe and quote effective for this purpose. And but you know, query what effective means because it's not effective. So it's a really... Um, How would we feel about that if there was something similarly dispensed that supposedly helped you with uh, sexually transmitted infection or HIV or, you know, I don't know, cancer? Right. You know, I mean, how would we deal with that? in that situation if we thought that there was something and went on for years and people knew and there yeah. was not adequate protection from the early research that's done for the FDA to make it uh, an approval or disapproval situ uh, you know determination that that concerns me because I mean if they will do it for something as stupid as you know a plugged up nose why wouldn't they do the same thing for something of something really serious? Well, and that's why I that's why I find um, you know this this California story to be really important because I think that they're really by passing a state law, so, sort of putting the FDA on blast about these chemicals. I think it's really highlighting that the FDA kind of fundamentally is adrift. Um, you know, both with the with medicines like the phenylephrine and with food safety. Um, and, and, you know, when you have something as important as medicine and food, you need an agency that you can trust. You have to believe that what they say is 
valid. And when you see the difference, for instance, between sort of the EU and European regimes on food safety versus the FDA, it's night and day. Um, And, you know, on the flip side, you you have the FDA is also underfunded because, um, for instance, there are sunscreens in the EU that have been available for years there that are light years ahead of what's available in the U.S. because they have not because they haven't been able to get you know the the you know the manufacturers haven't been able to get through whatever process is involved in the FDA and so we also on the flip side are not having sort of the best in class th- for things that are important like sunscreen because of the, of the FDA's kind of red tape and sort of lack of should personnel. we have the World Health Organization or some such organization push for a global agency to be kind of the keeper and distributor of this information since you'd think that in places where they exceed our own abilities in the United States uh, that we should we should know about that well the but the question is who's in charge of that you know um, you know uh, it's a it's an interesting thought I mean first of all the United States is so allergic to any kind of their, the idea of sovereignty is so important in the U.S. that the idea that we would ever outsource anything to an, you know, an organization like the WHO or the UN or UNICEF or you name it, it there's, that's like a non-starter. We're going to continue with more, and I would really like to hear what you think about that. 760-677-0111. Do you trust the FDA at this point in time for anything that you put in your body? Food? Medicine? Again, our phone number is 760-677-0111. You're listening to the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mack on the GBC Radio Network. It's not always laughter and games on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac, but when it is, you'll know when it's time to cut them off. Now, back to the beer pong. Uh, I mean show. Boys? Hey, Richie. Yeah? I wanted to carry on our last topic for a few more moments before we go on to anything else, because I think one of the things we didn't really get to hit as much, I always hear complaints living in California from people who don't live here and try and defend why wherever they are is better than where I am and that I should leave where I am. Uh, Because they're always talking about how California is so overtaxed and it is also a total nanny state because we have laws and we have lawmakers who do things like trying to say, time to take red dye number three out of the equation. Why don't you tell me what you think about that and and how you'd respond? Yeah, I mean, I I'm someone who who believes in the in the idea that that government can that that good regulations are actually essential to 
actually to a lot of freedom in in this weird way. Um, you feel freedom from fear of medication and your foods. I mean, what we're seeing, you know, we see a lot of um, with food safety and stuff, a lot of misinformation out there and 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 fear and sort of whisper campaigns because there isn't a clear regulatory voice that is saying, here's what's safe, here's what's not. You know, whether it's genetically modified foods, um, you know, whether it is chemicals, um, you know, GMOs. Let's let's talk about that, for instance. Um, I don't know, you know, they are – many GM, GMOs, genetically modified organisms, are – not allowed in, let's say, the EU. It, you know, I feel like there is a, there's a rationale there. You know, and and whether the rationale, whether you agree with it or not, it's spelled out. The fact that there's kind of like no discourse on it, you end up with kind of armchair psychologists. You know. Um, playing dietitian and playing scientist, and you see this play out on Facebook all the time, especially where people are like, you know, GMOs are, you know, are are causing, you know, autism or whatever. GMOs might be bad. Are they causing autism? I mean, I don't know, but I think that having a sort of a, a strong regulatory regime where there's information that's actually well-funded and sort of national is is essential. And, you know, I think it's great that we have states like California that are kind of leaders in things like environment and food and safety and stuff like that and education too. Um, but it is tricky because, again, when you're looking at in, in this country national standards – the question is always who's in control because we see the seesawing effect where if there are Republicans in control, um, they put people who are absolutely asleep at the switch in charge of all of these regulatory agencies um, and they just deregulate and kind of uh, undermine the authority of the actual agency itself because they don't believe in the actual mission. And then you get a Democrat in power and then they're, they're kind of rebuilding it. And so you end up with a situation in the U.S. where there isn't a lot of trust in these in these kind of re national regulatory agencies because we've seen them be so you know um, politicized and defunded and kind of just uh, put to the whims of of political you know weather. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> frankly, I like living in a state that provides safety nets for people who have the least among us and who need to know that there are certain human services that they're going to get regardless of where they came from or what their economic circumstances are. The mere fact that they're human beings, that they should be entitled to some basic rights, especially from a country that prides itself as being the wealthiest nation in the world. On the other hand, um, I am uh, I am trying to be empathetic to those who feel like they have to pay too much for certain things that they don't get to take advantage of themselves. And it, but I like coming out and erring on the side of people being taken care of, whether it's because we provide some sort of a welfare service, 
um, or because we care enough about the citizens in the state to keep them well to begin with. And we think about their overall um, health and s safety and welfare uh, from all those other standpoints, whether it's the quality of our roads or it's the quality of education or it's the opportunity to breathe clean air uh, in a place where we really have too many automobiles on the road and so we're therefore we're taking uh some of the most ag aggressive steps towards uh environmental cleanup uh in in the country so you know uh if you don't like california nobody said you had to move here right and i think you know i think what you bring up is a good point which is i you know i i happen to like um places where there's risk spreading and cost spreading because and and what i mean by that is um you know when you look at a place that has um things like single payer health care um you know or or at least in this country very robust medicaid for instance um what you do is you you sh you're not having the entire incident incidence of cost on people who can't afford it and you're spread you're sort of you're, you know you're building the pool you're expanding the pool this was the discussion we had during obamacare right is um if you have more people of different ages and different healths and stuff entering into the pool everyone kind of benefits right um even if some people might pay a little more some people are going to pay vastly less and it all kind of ends out in the wash and similarly with regulation um you know the cost of things like climate change on certain places are going to be really high and not as high in others and by by kind of adopting a uniform regime yeah it's going to hurt a little more for some people than for others but it's going to benefit everyone in the long run you know and another, so another thing i hear along that line richie is i hear people talking about the fact that you know the rich don't pay their fair share right i mean there's a lot of people who at uh, most income levels other than, you know, billionaires, uh, you know, like the idea that, that the billionaires should have to fork out a little more. And and because they also have the privilege of, of having, you know, kind of life on easy street financially. And California does that. In fact, a lot of the things that help pay for these things that we're talking about are because of the amount of millionaires and billionaires in the state who do have to contribute more. So California's done something about that too. Yeah, and I, and I think this is something that that you know goes back to how I've always talked about how I want there to be more civics education, and part of that is understanding things like how taxes work, because you have to remember, taxes are it's a progressive tax regime in this country, which is to say. Everyone, for the first X amount of money, everyone pays a certain percentage. For the next tranche, you pay, you're not, it's not, it's not that if you make, let's say you make over the threshold by a cent, that all of your money is taxed at a higher bracket. Your money is taxed at the, at the bracket that it's in. And so when we're talking about, like, there isn't actually a disincentive, there isn't a true disincentive to make more money because of higher taxes. It's not like it's going to throw you into a different bracket and you're suddenly taxed beyond, you know, your wildest dreams. And, you know, and it's why things like 
there's a lot, you know, all that stuff about flat tax on the on the right, you know, flat tax, a tax so simple you can just put a postcard in the mail and, you know, what that is, that's a regressive tax because what that is is it is taxing everyone um including the people who are you know can't afford it the most are taxing everyone kind of the same and it's the opposite of 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 a progressive regime which is where if you make very little money you're paying very little taxes and you because you need all that money for basic things basic services you know burn up services basic needs right. and so the way that the progressive tax works is that the first certain amount of money you're not paying very much tax then you pay a little more tax, then a little more tax, then a little more tax as you go up the brackets. And I think that that is something that is fundamentally not generally well understood and is the importance it's important to understand when you're thinking about how to set a maximum tax rate because when you're talking about billionaires, you know, billionaire taxes, you're talking about a vanishingly small population of people who are being charged a high percentage on this the upper upper piece of their wealth. Or right. of their of their income, and so anyway, I mean, I could go on about that for ages. It, it, I can get in the weeds on it. I I really loved tax uh, when I took tax at law school. I it really opened my eyes a lot to stuff I did not understand about taxes before. But I think that you're right. Um, that I do think California gets a lot of that stuff really right. Um, yeah, and I, I just it. It's too bad that we don't have a better civics education program in the United States at this point in time because, boy, if there was ever a time when we needed it, it's now. Stay with us. We have another entire hour to hang out with you in this happy hour. So we'd love to have you join us, 760-677-0111. You can find out all of our information at gbchappyhour.com, and we would love to have you join us on the show so pick up the phone give a call 760-677-0111 how are you going to spend halloween we'll talk more after the news update stay with us Broadcasting System, the leader in network radio. I bet you didn't know professional shows could use the F word. Well, it depends on which ones you're talking about. On the GBC Happy Hour, we roll with the times. For instance, Johnny loves Fantastic, Far Out, and even an occasional fuck. Richie, he's okay with Fella, Fuddy Duddy, and occasionally depending on what you do with it. But they both draw the line at fag, because in fact, God does love fags. And Fred Phelps found out when he got to hell. Here are your F-bombs, Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Boy, do I miss the days when I used to be able to be on the air and pick up the phone and dial area code 785 and on uh, and reach old brother Fred at home at the Westboro (laughs) Baptist Church. We used to have some of the funniest damn conversations he ever did have oh my gosh oh my wow yeah it was uh, it was insane wow yeah the the i guess the good old days in some ways (laughs) i don't dare Um, call now because i'll get marjorie or one of those daughters who really has a stick up their hind 
quarters. <laughs> so, um, so speaking of um, of, of uh, gay news, back in gay news and homophobia, yeah. We're so the NHL, the National Hockey League, is kind of having a moment. I don't, I don't know what what's going on over there, but um, they recently, uh, you know, there was a kerfuffle this last season about pride jerseys, right? Which is where um, there would be a jersey that a team would wear literally only during warmups, right? Um, and by and large, everyone in the you know in the league kind of was on board. And a handful of stick in the mud, you know, homophobes and mostly bigots. read Russian born players were against wearing the jersey, the pride jerseys, even at a warm up, you know, and and so at the end of the season, they NHL in their infinite wisdom said, we're not doing themed warm up jerseys anymore. Um, except for some themes. I mean, they're, basically, they had some exceptions. Yeah, I think, what they were essentially uh, doing is saying you no know, pride was one. What of was them. that? I think breast cancer was one of them. Right. So basically, what it was is they're saying we're not doing warm up jerseys anymore, except for all the other jerseys that aren't the pride one. So <laughs> that was that was kind of their first strike, and yeah. then recently. Um, so there's a product called Pride Tape, and it's made by you know a, 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 this one company. And um, Johnny can probably explain better than me because I'm not a hockey person. But I, I think that what they do is they wrap part of their hockey stick with a tape um, when they're playing when they're playing hockey. They do um, part of the stick, and you know this had nothing to do with the Pride Tape per se, but uh, they would wind this tape around uh, the blade of the hockey stick. And and some players have this rainbow-colored tape that they've been wrapping around theirs. And now, apparently, the, the league has said that they're prohibiting the use of pride tape on your hockey sticks. And it's just right. another form of some sort of nothing but homophobic BS coming out of the league office. Right, because what this is essentially saying is it, not only are they saying no sort of, um, you know, team-based, uh, you know, warm-up pride jerseys, you know, which is, you know, on the team level, but individual players who are choosing to you know, express their support for the LGBTQ community by using rainbow colored tape on their, their hockey stick, that they are disallowed from even making that kind of statement, a personal, like literally on a personal level. Um, that is so wild. Um, and really, you know, it, you know, it's been equated, you know, by some folks, I think on Outsports and other places as basically the don't say gay bill for the NHL. Yeah, reporting from our friend uh, Sid Ziegler's outsports.com site, um, a story that is written by John Holmes, not to be confused with a former adult film star. Um, uh, that they received confirmation uh, from an NHL spokesperson that Pride Tape was now prohibited in the league. Um, 
Sid, who has been a guest on this program, summed it up in his reporting saying hockey is not for everyone. Um, here's part of the story. It says only last year, uh, Jeff McLean, the co-founder of Pride Tape, wrote in a first-person essay for the NHL's website about the incredible support the league had offered back in 2016 when the rainbow-colored tape was just a grassroots idea being crowdfunded by a Kickstarter campaign. Outsports.com goes on to report he described going to an NHL headquarters uh, going to NHL headquarters in New York ahead of World Pride in 2019 and looking across a sea of office cubicles. He said poking above a number of employees' pods were random hockey sticks wrapped in Pride tape. To this day, it reminds me how small how our small actions can have a lasting impact and how we can share messages of acceptance without using words, he said. So I find this to be a a real gut punch because as somebody who has been around hockey over the last 25 years off and on and who worked for a a franchise at one time uh, back in the late 1990s, um, I can tell you that it's really sickening to see them do this when they have such an enormous fan base in the LGBTQ community. I mean, I have yet to go to a hockey game and not see a ton of queers in the stands. So this is like a big FU to you know, to a a significant market. And honestly, I think that the only way to, um, you know, the only way to show them that this homophobia, this behavior is not okay, is sadly for fans to, you know, give the finger back and not buy tickets. Yeah, I mean, I think think that you're right. I think um, because when, you know, we were talking about this um, in, in a previous episode, um, you know, in terms of soccer um, and that, you know, soccer has a big homophobia problem with things like chants from um, from the stands and uh, and and even, you know, things like choosing to have World Cups in places where, you know, where homo- homosexuality is essentially banned and stuff like that. Um, and what it is, is that at the end of the day, these are there's a lot of money at stake. And money talks and money's the only thing that really speaks to these leagues and these, you know, these sort of organizations. Yep. And so, yeah, I think if you have, you know, unfortunately, LGBT- what, what gets them over that hump, unfortunately, uh, you know, even if they take a setback in the stands is TV revenue, you know, so they don't really feel the pinch uh, as much from ticket sales as they do if they were to lose TV audience. Oh yeah. But I think, but I think it is, it does. I think there's, there isn't very much leverage to be honest. I don't think there's very much leverage from, you know, a small, but you know, vocal and happy, you know, uh, you know, queer community who really does support the sport. But I think that between, 
you know, boycotting, letter writing. And I think actually people who are LGBTQ who work for work in the NHL, who work for hockey, um, making their voices heard. I think that that's kind of all you can do. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, they're really focused on, like you said, rev, you know, TV revenue. They're focused on, yeah, you know. I think a part of it's also on the franchise owners. And it's not just hockey. It's all major league athletics. So, well, and, and, and specifically, specifically, this is a male pro- This is a male problem. This is a problem with male sports, right? But I'm, I'm, I, I want to, I want to call out people who are doing it right too. And in the National Basketball Association, Mark Cuban is a perfect example. He will not tolerate any sort of um, homophobic or transphobic, uh, anti-LGBTQ behavior. Uh, or you will not be affiliated with the with the um, Dallas Mavericks organization, and he's made that more than abundantly clear. Um, similarly, uh, my chosen team in the National Football League, the Seattle Seahawks, had to deal with a homo uh, or not a homophobia, but a uh, transphobia issue a few years ago, and I've mentioned this before. And one of the members of their radio broadcast team. Uh, made comments not even on the on the game broadcast but on his own talk show on the station that carries them they took away his access to the stadium forever until he died and you know and and they made it clear because they did not want to offend people in the Seattle community which has a large trans or LGBTQ positive uh, community so there are some teams that are getting it right they all need to get it right, and their leagues need to get it right. And they need to understand that the only way that we're going to erase these attitudes is for them to take a leadership role in front of all of their fans. Yeah, well, that's the thing is I think what it what it really requires is acts, acts of bravery, even in even in the light of perhaps money being lost. And that is, like you said, st- you know, team owners or team leadership standing up and literally saying saying publicly, which is, you know, potentially harmful to the bottom line, saying yep. I, I we disagree with the policy of this league, um, you know, or even saying we are we are encouraging our players to make their own personal choices as to whether they're going to put pride tape on their hockey sticks. We do not think that this is something that the NHL like has any purchase in because it, it, at the end of the day, it's our players. I'd like to reach out and invite to be on our show a uh, gentleman who another program I've worked on recently uh, has been a guest on, uh, John Bolton, not the guy who was uh, <laughs> not the guy who was serving in the uh, uh, role with the federal government to the uh, UN, but um but another John Bolton, who is the senior vice president for Oakview Group, um, he himself is an out gay man, and he is with the organization that owns our local American Hockey League affiliate to the uh, National Hockey League team, the Seattle uh, Kraken, and they own that. They own all of them, and they have a number of openly gay and lesbian employees within that organization, including coaches. And uh, I'd love to get him in and have a talk with him about what they as an organization 
uh, do because I know that they have very strong LGBTQ positive values in their organization and would like to, you know, ask them about what can you do, what can your organization do uh, in, in changing attitudes and behaviors in the league at, at the top level of the league because I think that that's how it gets done. That's how it's going to need to get done. And when you have owners who are doing very well in their business operations, as those are who have those values, I think they're going to carry weight with the other owners and, and the league operators. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you. I think that it has to it has to come from all sides. I mean, I think it has to come from, you know, brave leadership within the NHL, you know, sort of organ, you know, sort of superstructure. Yeah. And I do think, I do think that fans, um, you know, have to, have to make it known too. And whether it's, you know, it, I don't know exactly what the best way is, you know, but whether it's letter writing or what, but I think that it has to be a, you know, not to use a sports term, but a full court press to really let, if you're a sports fan of a certain sport and you feel that they're going backward or they're not going forward in terms of LGBTQ, you know, representation or acceptance or visibility, even you have to, you have to take the time to make it, make it known that you are, that you see this, you see what's happening. Yeah. I know for a fact that if they pulled that kind of behavior in this market where I live in the greater Palm Springs area and with the franchise that's here, that it would do an enormous amount of damage to their organization. Mm-hmm. And and when you have that kind of power being put in front of you, and they are currently in the minor leagues, in the American Hockey League, they are currently the number one season ticket seller in the entire league nationwide. And so you have to take advantage of those kinds of situations when you've got them and use that as your bully pulpit to, you know, to preach the truth, you know? Yeah. So anyway, hopefully the NHL gets its act together. Um, This is a really stupid thing to tell people what they can and can't put on their hockey stick, you know? I mean, I get it if they had a league deal with a particular brand or something that was a sponsor of the league and they didn't want you having somebody else's brand of stick, you know, on television or something like that. But otherwise... You know, when it comes to what's on that blade, it doesn't say anything about any name. It just, it's just a unifying thing, not a, not something to tear teams apart. Let them be. Yeah, it's because it's, I mean, you know, I can see there are probably, there would be a lot of different reasons for a player to, to put pride tape on their hockey stick. They might be saying, you know, fans, I see you. I know you're there, and thank you. It might be saying, "I have an LGBTQ brother, sister, yeah. parent, um, Sibling, son or friend, daughter." You know, whoever. Um, and I'm, you know, and I want them to understand that, like, they are that that they have visibility. You know, there are a lot of different reasons why people would make the personal choice to put pride tape on their stick. And again, like it's not hurting anyone and it's like it, and the idea that it, it that it, it would be harmful or somehow it, it's buying into this this idea 
that just the existence of rainbow flags is somehow inherently political and sexualized and bad in this world. Richie, do you know that if we go over to Zurich together and you decide that you suddenly don't like me and and decide that you're going to call me uh, a big fat gay slob, um, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, it's true. Yep. We'll talk about it coming up next on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. Stay with us on the GBC Radio Network. The Gay BC Happy Hour continues with or without pumpkin spice. Your taste, your show, and your humble hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Hello, hello. hello. Welcome back to the Happy Hour. Um, and so as uh, as Johnny teased uh, in the prior segment, um, this is a story about what you can and can't say in Switzerland. Um, so the right-wing Swiss provocateur, French Swiss provocateur, Alain Bonnet, who goes by Alain Sorrel, was sentenced to 60 days in jail for calling a journalist, um, a fat lesbian whose work as a queer activist meant that she was, quote, unhinged. Oh, wow. Uh, and so, uh... How did he know this? The, Is she wearing lesbian haircut number four? <laughs> I don't know. But um, the, this was in Lausanne, and the court sentenced this uh, this French-Swiss uh, gentleman uh, for the crimes of defamation, discrimination, and incitement to hatred. Uh, he was ordered to pay legal fees and fines, totaling thousands of Swiss francs, and to, and to spend 60 days behind bars. Wow, that's some serious action. It is. I wonder if he's going to meet a boyfriend while he's locked up. It's interesting because it obviously highlights um, how very different um, different laws are in different countries. Because obviously in the United States, because of the First Amendment and, you know, especially how we interpret the the First Amendment – you know the idea of that someone just calling someone a fat lesbian or a queer act, you know, unhinged or an activist, um, is so far from being actionable here. Um, and it's interesting to think about. Do you think that 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 the Swiss law is a good one? Is it too restrict? Is that too restrictive? Is that you know what do what do we think about this? Well, the offender, the defendant. Uh, his attorney, of course, had some mocking to do once this is all done, uh, talking about how uh, this conviction was for a crime of opinion. But it still wasn't very nice. You can have a, an opinion without having to offend somebody like that. Well, you know, it's it the the, the person, this Alain Sorrel, 
um, it makes it a little hard to feel too bad for him because he's been convicted repeatedly in France and was sentenced to jail time in 2019 for denying the Holocaust. So, oh, God, um, one of those. He's, he's not exactly, um, you know, a, a, someone who you have very fond feelings for. Right. Um, but, you know, it does, it does bring up the question, you know, um, obviously, uh, you know, we want to, there's a balance between creating a safe, you know, a safe environment where people don't feel discriminated against and people feel safe and also not sort of over chilling, you know, just speech. And I think it's, it's an interesting, this brings up sort of an interesting kind of thought experiment about where is that balance? Because obviously in Switzerland, which passed a law um, in 2020 that made it illegal to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation, that's the basis of this conviction. Um, but, you know, would that fly here? Would that ever be something that would be, um, you know, sort of there would be any appetite for that kind of law? Oh, no, absolutely not. Can you imagine if we had laws like that, um, that, well, the former president of the United States would never have gotten in to begin with because he'd be spending day after day in uh, incarcerated uh, because... <laughs> of all the nicknames and and insults that he throws at people uh, all the time. Like, I thought yeah. he should have been locked up for the way that he made fun of the uh, person who was disabled, who, you know, he made... Remember that? When he yeah, did his he little locked impersonation? Yeah, the, the journalist who, you know, uh, yeah, who is disabled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's that, and then also, obviously, kind of um, little Marco, and well, and, and and more than that, I think um, you know things like disparaging the you know the Americanness of you know Gold Star families, family yeah. members, and John McCain and Lion Ted. Yeah, um, I mean, I, see, for me, it's it's less the. I mean, the, obviously, the nicknames are or whatever, but I, I'm talking more about kind of casting aspersions on the Americanness of something, someone like John McCain. Oh yeah, or or remember the Kizer Khan. Um, yes. and the parents that, who whose son parents passed in in service to the country. Yeah, and I feel like you know that that's sort of a a, a level above the kind of just the the nicknames which you know, are, are kind of, you know, whatever schoolyard to be honest. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I, obviously I think that there isn't, there isn't a, a world in which anything like this would ever happen in the United States. Um, but no, and we're actually seeing a test right now that deals with just how far, uh, free speech goes or doesn't go um and it relates to the former president as well because he's making a a big case over his losing his uh right his first amendment rights in the form of his campaigning because of things he's been told by the court he may or may not say in mm -hmm. the public during this right. time and i think that that's going to be a very telling case uh, especially if it makes it to the Supreme Court where who, you know, God only knows what will happen there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, 
it's just interesting to watch, um, you know, he, the kind of the three card Monty that he's always playing with 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 sort of legal proceedings. It's yeah. it's really a sight to behold. Well, as we continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour tonight, um, we are going to talk about a court ruling in India. And that will, I think, head us down a pretty long rabbit hole as well. So stay with us. Talk about that. (laughs) And we also have recommendations on products coming up. And we also are going to be talking later in the program about our cocktails and mocktails as we go into our mixology with our bartender, Richie Roy. Stay with us. I'm Johnny Mack. This is the GBC Radio Network. The GBC Radio Network presents the weekly public service, the GBC Happy Hour Seal of Approval. Does it fly or does it die? Products, services, and customer service that will turn you on or turn you off. Does the cup runneth over or has the well gone dry? Richie and Johnny, take it away. Welcome back, everyone. And uh, yeah, we can do a quick round of uh, recommendations and demerits, and then we can get into um, an interesting topic that came up this week in India. Yeah. So um, my recommendation this week is um, is the cookbooks of Yotam Odalengi. I have been um, doing a deep dive into cookbooks recently. I'm in a cooking uh, frenzy. I think, and, um, I think, Sir Richard, that you're going to need to spell the name of this person so that our audience can make sure that they um, – find them right or correctly in Google or wherever. So, I mean, that's kind of a difficult, it's not John Smith. Yeah. So Yotam, Y-O-T-A-M, Otolenghi is O-T-T-O-L-E-N-G-H-I. And uh, he is a gay um, Israeli um, chef who lives in London. Um, and his cookbooks are extremely, um, interesting there's a ton of he uses a lot of like sort of interesting international ingredients you know things like rose harissa and dried black you know limes and all kinds of kooky things and um i have to tell you if i came across a lime that was black i probably would throw it in the garbage can so tell me what does it taste like does it taste like lime so what it is, yeah. So a dry, uh, what it is is it's a lime. It's a dried. It's a lime that's basically desiccated, and it turns bright, shiny black. It's so what you, what you when you buy them, you buy them, you know, in a in a in a Ziploc bag, and they are, you know, they they look like a tiny sphere, a tiny bright black sphere. Okay. And when you grind them up, you can use them in different ways, but you, when you grind it up, it smells like, lot like like fresh. Lime. So at that point, um, are they like free, freeze dried? They're almost like a freeze. It's almost yeah. It's like they're hollow on the inside. They're okay. they're they're like dried out. Okay. Um. So what you're you getting is do, basically from from the rind. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Um. But so you know he uses a bunch of different interesting ingredients. Um. 
And I've been cooking through his book, Flavor, which is all vegetarian recipes. And I've made a, a number of them. And they're so, they are complicated and they take a little bit of time and some sourcing ingredients. But the layers of flavor and the complexity and just the just sheer deliciousness of these dishes below has been blowing me away. And I, like, I've just been reveling in the flavors that he that he allows you to create so i'm gonna go with the otolenghi uh cookbooks uh for this week nice spell the name one more time for those of you who need to get a pen or pencil handy and uh spell this out so you can check it out uh go ahead and give us yeah, that spelling it's one a more o-t-t-o-l-e-n-g-h-i one more time otolenghi o-t-t-o-l-e-n-g-h-i okay um, so yeah, that's that's my recommendation for the week. Uh, do you have any recs or demerits? I do have a demerit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you come into this segment, you expect that Richie Roy is going to have the glass half full, and I'm going to give you the one that is half empty. So while well, he empties his cocktail right now um, into his mouth. Uh, <laughs> I actually had a really super awful experience at the place where I stayed this past week when I was down in Tucson. And I think it speaks because it's not my first experience with a hotel in that chain um, where it has been this way. I think it's really important that if you're going to something that's part of a large brand hotel chain, Uh, In this case, we stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, which is part of the chain of IHG, which runs a lot of, you know, big hotels. And I think that if you're going to stay, I I think um, that this is true across the board, whether you're staying with a Marriott Hotel, which nowadays could be a Westin or a Sheraton or, you know, any of those. One thing that's important, I think, to check out is whether or not the property is owned by the company or it is under contract with a licensee, a franchise licensee for, you know, for that company. So in other words, like my, uh, one of my friends here in Palm Springs works for, uh, for a local major hotel chain, but the property he works in, which is one of the biggest here in the Palm Springs area, is actually not owned by the hotel chain. It's owned by a separate owner. And a lot of times those other owners are not as conscious of doing property maintenance and fixing problems uh, the way that the corporations are. You know, when when it used to be that a Westin Hotel or a W Hotel or Sheraton Hotel was all under Starwood or before that Westin, which Westin and Sheraton were their own brands, um, Back when those were corporate-owned hotels, the companies were real sticklers to keep those five-star, four-star ratings that they had for their properties. These other owners, they're kind of, you know, in the same class as those hedge funds that go and buy restaurant chains and then just run them into the ground and don't, you know, take care of them and and keep them well-maintained and you know, care about their customers. They're just taking the money out of it until they kill the brand. Um, and I felt that that was the same way with our stay at this uh, Holiday Inn, this IHG property. So um, I'm not going to name the specific property. I mean, it was in the Tucson area. They have several in that area. 
but it's been my experience generally, and so I just want to encourage people, if you're going to stay in a Hilton, a Hyatt, uh, Sheraton, Holiday Inn, Renaissance, uh, Marriott, you know, any of these major hotel chains, check to see, again, if the property is actually owned by the chain or if it is owned by a separate company. If it is, um, I'd want to go in and actually really review their reviews for that property from people who have stayed there because that's what you're going to find out. As it turned out, we were told in the property that we were in that had several problems, things that didn't work, uh, things that were broken, things that um, even you could, it, our room smelled like um, mold because of a, a issue we saw ourselves with the shower. And so, and it stunk through the whole room. So when we asked them, you know, what's the deal? Uh, and can we get this or that fixed? We were told nothing's going to be fixed here for about a year and a half until they redo the whole property. And I'm like, that's that's ridiculous. You know, you're going to have a lot of people staying here between now and then. I don't feel comfortable with the fact that, you know, we were in a room that's $150 a night. Yeah, I think that this is something that, that especially because there's been a lot of um, – um, a lot of consolidation in terms of hotel groups that they, they they now rely on a vast sort of constellation of franchisees who really you know apart from slapping the the logo on the sign in front and you know buying the little bottles of shampoo that say the brand name yeah. the, there's almost no differentiation between you know in terms of quality between you know, a Weston and a, you know, a Sleepaway Express because <laughs> it's basically all run by, yeah. you know, companies that just, they, they pay a certain amount for the franchise fee and the hotel chains aren't being very choosy in terms of making sure that they, that the companies who are, who are paying the franchise fees are living up to the standards of the brand. I kid you not, the property that, that my friend who I was talking about who lives here and works for this major hotel uh, property, which is the one that happens to be connected to the Palm Springs Convention Center and hosts a lot of big events, including the white party here each year. That property, it was during a major event weekend when they had flooding that occurred here. And Mm. water came down from the roof through five stories of that building roof after roof after roof of, you know, I I mean, ceiling after ceiling after ceiling. Mm -hmm. Water was literally coming out of the light fixtures over the head of the people working at the front desk. And they were just like, well, it's just a little water issue. (laughs) Right. No. No, I, I, I I totally, yeah, it's not, it's, it's kind of a thing that's, that's sort of an increasing problem, but I do want to turn our attention to, to India. Yeah, I do want to briefly touch upon this. I think it is an important story. So um, earlier in the week, I had sent to Johnny, um, I sent him uh, a a link to a story. And I said, India's top court is set to rule on same-sex marriage. A win would be huge. Well, on Tuesday, India's Supreme Court rejected the plea to legalize same-sex marriage. So... Big bummer. Um, And what they, the sort of what the determination that the judges made was that it was really up to parliament to create any laws recognizing same-sex unions. So that was kind of the 
you know, they kind of punted on it. And instead of having it be something that the court determined, they basically said, well, if, if it's going to happen, it's going to have to come through the parliament. And while disappointed about this ruling, you actually felt, if I recall correctly, that that the reason for this kind of ruling was was actually not a bad reason. Well, what it got me thinking, because it got me thinking about um, about our own country, because for a number of years, you know, basically from the Warren court onward until quite recently, we had we gained a lot of civil rights and a lot of rights through our Supreme Court that, you know, and the Supreme Court was in many ways ahead of our legislature, you know, by a long shot. And so we became very accustomed to having civil rights ensconced in our, you know, sort of political landscape by a court that was, um, you know, that that was mindful of civil rights. Our current court isn't that way. And our current court actually is, if it, you know, seems really kind of uh, poised to curtail a lot of the sort of pr- progress. And so it, when you, it makes me think, do we rethink our strategy? You know, should should we really, you know, where should rights be coming from? I mean, does it make sense? I mean, should we be focusing on actually, you know, on pushing things through at the legislative level? You know, when it comes to things like abortion, you know, now that after the Dobbs ruling, you know, where that really is going to have to happen is legislatively, because we have a court that is, has you know, is not going to make rulings in our favor. And so... You know, it just got me thinking sort of in a kind of a real politique way that we're in a place where, you know, if same sex marriage, you know, if it if it weren't if there weren't um, precedent, if it was coming up now, uh, our Supreme Court that we currently have would definitely not uh, find in favor of same sex marriage. And so we should be focusing on. Legisl- you know, the legislative branch again. We really need to make sure that we have a House and a Senate that we that are functioning, that we can actually get our rights, you know, put into law in yeah. that in that re- regard. Um, because we'll have a Supreme Court that might even, in light, you know, it, in spite of legislative, um, you know, enactments, try to strike them down. Yeah, for sure. Um... I think a lot of people are just getting tired of talking about and hearing about this fight and those people who I think one of the things that also kind of hurts us right now is that there's a lot of because we are so far past having had marriage legalized in a lot of places um, that a lot of people have become worn out by by this and act as though they don't really care anymore. And that, I think, is also uh, problematic for this quest for full equality in the United States as well as other places around the world. Um, you know, because I hear people all the time say, oh, I don't want to get married and I don't care. And, you know, why do we need to be like, you know, why do we need to have heteronormative, you know, things like that? Um and I, there's a lot of reasons why. Um, and having seen the fights that have happened in the past in this country before it became legal here for something as simple as being able to visit your significant other if they were in a life-threatening situation and in 
a hospital's care. Um, being able to protect kids if you had responsibility for children and not have legal marriage rights that put you on an equal footing with a heterosexual couple. You know, all those mm-hmm. things and more are reasons to still care about this, whether you want to do it or not. And I think we need to be concerned about these same kinds of issues for our friends and, you know, virtual family members in places all over the planet. So, yep. We're going to continue, and it will be time for Richie to get his mixology on uh, as we continue with the GBC Happy Hour next right here on the GBC Radio Network. Thank you for being along this evening. And um, thanks for keeping everything to yourself. I wouldn't I wouldn't think of having you on the air at this point in time if you were to call 766-7701. Homo mixologist Richie Roy and his ice cube handler Johnny Mack present... The latest lessons from the Gay BC Happy Hour School of Mixology. As they say at Gay BC, bottoms up. <laughs> Welcome back to the happy hour. And uh, a happy hour it is. Um, I was thinking I was thinking about uh, what beverages uh, to talk about this week. And, you know, I'm I am very much feeling the the autumnal vibe. You know, it's starting to get darker earlier. It's starting to be a little chilly. It's sweater weather, which I love personally. Um, and so my thought was uh, was sort of thinking about uh, Thanksgiving and uh, you know, the holidays and things. And so the drink sort of option this week involves cinnamon simple syrup. And um, I was actually talking with my trainer and he kind of put this idea in my head. And when I started thinking about it, I was like, you know, this makes a lot of sense. Um, So, you know, simple syrup is usually it's a one to one uh, sugar and water. And you, you know, you put it on the stove and you heat it up and melt the sugar into the water. And then that's your simple syrup. And you can use that in a lot of different drinks. But what you can do is you can flavor your simple syrup. You know, for instance, if you put lavender uh, flowers in it, you can make lavender simple syrup, which is delicious. Or, you know, you could put orange rind or whatever. So the thing that I think would be fun uh, for this week's drinks is to make a cinnamon simple syrup. So take, you know, cup of water, cup of sugar, and let's say four cinnamon sticks. You could throw in a couple cloves if you want to make it extra, you know, pumpkin spice vibe but um and you you know you heat that up on the stove um for you know let's say five to ten minutes um you know with the with the sugar melting in the water and with the cinnamon sticks in there and then you let it sit for an hour to you know three four five hours to really concentrate the flavor of the cinnamon in the simple syrup then you take the sticks out and you have simple syrup that is cinnamon flavored and spicy. And so I think for a non-alcoholic drink, I think that you just take some seltzer and you just put some cinnamon 
simple syrup in there and you've got a nice sort of fall flavored, you know, pumpkin spicy type beverage. And then for the alcoholic version, you know, what that brings to mind is the first thought is an old fashioned, a sort of pumpkin spice old fashioned. Um, and so, you know, cause traditionally an old fashioned is, you know, a, a, a sugar cube, a, a, you know, a couple splashes of bitters and a piece of orange peel and some bourbon or whiskey. And, um, you know, you stir all that stuff around, but instead of the cube of sugar, you put in, you know, a, a shot of, or not a shot, but, you know, you put in, you know, a couple, t- you know, a tablespoon or so of um, the cinnamon simple syrup. You put the bourbon or the whiskey, you put the dashes of bitters, some ice cubes and, you know, the orange. And I think you're good to go. I think that that's going to be a fun sort of subtle but autumnal um, sort of beverage profile to have, um, you know, as we're kind of coming into the chili season. Hmm. Yeah, you know what I really love this time of year hmm. when it gets cold? Uh, it's actually not that time of year for me yet. It is for you. Um, for me, that will come probably around mid-January um, because, you know, it was still about 100 degrees here today. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's when I like to, you know, uh, get reacquainted with my friend Bailey. And, uh, uh, yes. you know, and I don't generally drink coffee, mm-hmm. um, but I do like Irish coffees and I do like um, uh, Bailey's and coffee. But, you know, a little Jameson in the coffee cup with some, homemade whipped cream and fresh whipped cream and yeah you know, that kind of and stuff ba- i love those drinks it, when it, it's colder time of the year i totally agree you know i love i love a bailey's and coffee um a, you know or jameson and coffee i think that you bring up another good point which is i think one of the things that is great to to do is regardless of if you're a coffee drinker or not if you if you're is to keep around you know keep it in your freezer um, and it'll stay for a while. Always keep on hand a bag of decaf coffee mm-hmm. because if you have people over for dinner, um, if you offer them decaf coffee after dinner, a lot of people are going to take you up on it. Yeah. And that's when you're, have, when, when you're having night. the Bailey's, when you're having the Kahlua, you know, when you're having the Jameson, it's generally going to be in the evening. You don't want to have it with caffeinated coffee because it's going to keep you up all night. Quite honestly, um, I like those things without coffee too. <laughs> in fact, I was a little disappointed in my father when I was at home and uh, visiting them in Tucson this past weekend because uh, he poured uh, Irish cream for everybody but me. But me and my aunt actually turned to me and said, "Oh, aren't you having any?" I said, "Apparently not." She said, "He didn't ask you," and I said, "No." And he, his reply was, "He's diabetic." So uh, <laughs> like, that's nothing that not a little, uh, you know, insulin can't fix. So, yeah, yeah I don't drink but, it all um, the time. I, it's a rare occasion for me because of that, because I don't tend to drink sweet drinks. But but I do right. I do love it once in a while when we go get a burger um, over at uh, uh, Red Rotten, um, I will ask them to make a Bailey shake for me, which I really Ooh. like. Yeah. Those are really good. 
I do I do like those dirty milkshakes. Those are delicious. Yeah. Um when they when the boozy milkshakes are great. Um and I think I think that um I think my cats are interested in this top topic because they're currently um, <laughs> banging on the door and howling from uh, from the other side of it. So I think they they're interested in uh, in these drinks as well. But oh, um, wow. I do think that though that the simple syrup tip is actually really you can use it and go in a lot of different directions with it, and it is a fun and easy sort of thing to do. Um, you know. An, for instance, you could do hibiscus. You could do hibiscus simple syrup. You can do lavender. You can do orange peel. You could do something spicier. Like I said, again, you could do clove. Um, you know, you could do mace. There are just a lot of different sort you mean of that fun stuff things that you gets can do. Sprayed in your eyes. What? I said, do you mean that stuff? Stuff that they spray in your eyes? Oh, <laughs> no, mace, which is actually a relative of the nutmeg. It's actually the little mm. cage that grows over the nutmeg nut. But and so it's similar in flavor profile but a little different. But um but yeah, so the simple syrups is it's a fun way to sort of play around with things. And again, you could even with the cinnamon simple syrup, um, I think a thing that would be dynamite for that is um just to squeeze some of that into an iced tea. Um because I remember growing up there used to be this this brand of iced tea called or tea called the Good Earth. And um it was, I think, a California-based chain um, that – I mean, I could be wrong about that. But I know they had restaurants in California, and you could buy Good Earth tea there. And it was this kind of like cinnamony, orangey, very flavorful, delicious tea. And I think you could kind of approximate that with um, with a cinnamon and maybe orange peel simple syrup in some iced tea or even in a hot tea that would be very tasty. You know, I'm very excited about one other thing coming up, and that is yeah. that for the first time ever, you and I are going to be in the same room looking face-to-face -face at each other during one of these broadcasts coming up in just a matter of a few weeks. And that is going to be on the 2nd of November. So looking forward to that coming up. And um, we're having a little uh, GBC Happy Hour pool party during that weekend. And if anybody who's listening is um, coming to Palm Springs for Pride, we have very limited availability still of some spots. Uh, if people are interested on a first come first serve basis, uh, if you're interested in coming and meeting a group of friends who have all come together around the GBC happy hour, um, we would love to meet you. And even if we can't uh, invite you into that party because we sell out, uh, we will actually be out and about in Palm Springs that weekend. The uh, 4th and 5th of November are LGBTQ Pride here in Palm Springs, and we would love to meet you while you're here if you're coming to the Desert Southwest. So, yeah. 100%, yeah. yeah. And no, if definitely. you're interested in getting more information, you can write to me, um, john, J-O-H-N, at gbchappyhour.com. Oh yeah, no, and please reach out because we would love to, love to connect. Um, and uh, and I, you know, I don't. We haven't talked yet about any mixology for the uh, for the the pool party, but I might have to bring over some simple syrups myself and um, add those to the uh, to the bar setup. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I I think it's going to be a really 
uh, fun and successful uh, year for us here, and we're going to continue to expand the program. I know we've been promising for a while a feedback phone number, and that's in the process of happening still. Um, we have not forgotten those who can't be with us live and who want to interact with us and have their voices included in the show. So hopefully over the next week or two, we'll be able to get that together and be able to incorporate those of you who listen to us as a podcast. This program is up by approximately 7, 38 o'clock Eastern time every Thursday night after the live broadcast and available all the time thereafter from your favorite podcast portal or directly from our homepage at gavchappyhour.com. Richie, have a great week. You too. Thank you so much. And may your shadow fall in pleasant places. Good night.